Namaste and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, the host of the Modern Mystic Podcast, and today I am so thrilled and excited to have the super smart and soulful Sue Elkin here, who is an international respected yoga teacher, educator, and mentor with three decades of teaching experience. She is also the author of the widely distributed Dig Pregnancy, Birth, and Baby, a conscious and empowered approach to prenatal and postnatal yoga, and has trained hundreds of teachers and students worldwide. As an entrepreneur, Sue has successfully birthed yoga studios in Los Angeles, New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, and co-founded her current studio, Dig Yoga, with her husband, Naeem Jezini, in 2010. Her aim is to support people in their quest to realize their greatest potential and create a sanctuary for community to gather and grow. As a parent, nurturer, and provider, Sue is deeply motivated to feed the holy in her everyday life. She is an ally and lover of the earth, taking her cues from nature and its medicine and believes as stewards of this planet, we should leave things in better shape than when we arrived and create more beauty while we're here. Sue, welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast. Hello. It is so wonderful to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. And Sue, you've been on the spiritual journey for a really long time and also offering this journey to others concretely in the world for eons too. And so I'm very much looking forward to hearing your answer that I ask each of my guests, which is what does it mean to you to be a modern mystic? Mm, I have loved this contemplation. So thank you for allowing me to share. (laughs) (laughs) For me, the modern mystic understands the interconnectedness of all things and can see the extraordinary in the ordinary, the sacred in the everyday, and the magic in all moments. Like, for instance, if we think about our body as this macrocosm of the earth, we're made up of trillions of organisms moving around within us, We have oceans of water and minerals. We have fire of electricity that keeps our heart beating our entire life. We even have this fire to perceive and this air of intuition, always keeping our inner compass on track. We are so bioelectrically fed by this earth. And so to me, the modern mystic learns to listen to nature and to recognize that we're part of this food chain. We're not separate from it. And how, how we feed people matters and how we stay in right relationship with the earth matters. And it happens both physically and somatically, right, as a way that we can connect to our almost collective heart field using nature as the template. 
So there's so much. I don't want to keep talking, but there's one word that kept coming up when I was contemplating this modern mystic. And it was it's a Sanskrit word called samelana. You might know it, of course. Samelana means co-mingled, co-mingling. And to me, the, the modern mystic has this effortless way to breathe and to weave and to co-mingle the earthly and the celestial, right, into this beautiful fabric of their life, and yet recognize that it's a shared tapestry, right? It's connected, and that it's sacred, and and that it's whole. So that's just one of the things that I've been contemplating on this, these great words that you've asked me to think about. (laughs) Well, that was such an exquisite pontification. So thank you. And there's so many things I loved about what you said. The whole bioelectrically fed by the earth. I love how you put that. And that's so true. That whole sense of how, you know, we have all the elements within us and we are mm-hmm. fed by them and, and vice versa. And as you so eloquently put, really there's this commingling the weaving of the elements within ourselves and and on outside ourselves. And when we connect to the elements, how then we can use them as a bridge to traverse the mystical and then back to the mundane and back and forth and back and forth. So exactly. That was really, really gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. It's all pulsation, right? So, so true. I also loved how you talked about just how we're part of the food chain that whole sense of humility of when we're on the path as a seeker and as a conscious liver of life, that viewpoint of really seeing ourselves as part of the food chain. I mean, that'll keep you humble. You know? Exactly. And, and that sense of when we're seeking the mystical and the magic, sometimes I feel like, especially as seekers and people who feel like they know a little bit, we can get a little inflated. Our egos can take over a little bit. But I really feel like the more humble we stay in our not knowing and our place in the food chain, so to speak, that acts like a portal, that very sobering, that remembrance of humility and our placement within the karmic field really can allow us to have more mystical experiences, ironically, living in that humanity. Yeah. And, and it could also motivate, right? As human beings, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to nature. We're vulnerable. And to learn how to commune with nature in a way that we can utilize healing power from plant medicine and from the way that we can, again, just sit with the earth and be fed by earth. It's helpful for us. That can be also, like you said, it is humbling to to recognize that we are, you know, we're woven right into everything. We're not, we're not better than, and humans sometimes think we can impose ourselves onto this planet versus just sit with her and be in communion with her. Mm. Yes. And how our bodies too. I mean, you and I both being physical asana yoga teachers, right? That viewpoint and you and I share the lineage. A lot of the listeners know my lineage of the tantric yoga philosophy, which is so much about the body being a vessel and the body being a gateway to the mystical and to the divine and to the existential answers. You know, like you're speaking of the earth yeah. and and then our bodies being of earth and it's all tied back to what you said, being fed by that earth and our bioelectrical connection and interconnectedness. 
And the embodiment is really where we get to delight in that recognition, which makes it a celebration. It's like to be here, we get to really taste the sacred. We get to be in the magic because we're in a body. We have the senses to be able to delight in. And I think that's important to remember as well, that sometimes we think we need to be doing always something on purpose and getting successful and getting ahead. And I think we forget that like part of life is for the joy of it, to delight in it and to just like, slow down a little bit. We're going to come, we're going to go, and we're going to come back again. And we don't have to get it right every time. You know, part of it is the, is the play, I think, and the mystery behind that. Beautiful. So true. And that's so much the direction I feel like a lot of consciousness is going to that more feminine, quote unquote, if you will, viewpoint, which, you know, feminine just being a label, because, it's just moving away from that patriarchal, like doer, doer, doership, you know, honoring and acknowledging, which most of our listeners understand, right? We all have feminine, masculine energies within ourselves. But that feminine way of enjoyment and pausing and absorption and sometimes doing seemingly nothing, quote unquote, to actually be fully established in the present moment. And in that, like you said so sweetly, then we can discover the magic and the delight and the living for living's sake, which is a beautiful practice in itself. There's a quote by this British pioneer named Dion Fortune. I thought you would like it because it's on magic. And he says that magic is the art of changing consciousness at will. Hmm. Isn't that great? Brilliant. <laughs> it's so true. It really can be that not simple, you know, and it's profound, but it, it can be that we have to wake up to the fact that, you know, we have will, we can shift. And I think as not just seekers, but as, you know, doers on the planet and wanting to support and serve and be part of the evolution is to, to, to live that way, to try to live within that magic. Love it. Love it. So like the bodies are these amazing sacred portals, as is this physicality in our earth we've established right to experience magic and i love that quote because then it speaks to the importance of the mind mm -hmm. <laughs> the viewpoint right and that's exactly. the majesty of our minds and this amazing technology we have that uh is not less than either they can all guide us to spirit so i love that quote it's fantastic <laughs> okay so now that we have those basic points everyone <laughs> our bodies our minds yay we don't have to disparage them anymore we can see them as these wonderful tools and portals to the magic in the present moment i wanted to speak so much with you and i've been having you in my mind as a guest for so long about one of your genius zones which was community mm -hmm. and spaces so i was trying to pinpoint the moment we met which is now released quite a, some time ago and I think it was at a national yoga conference type gathering. And at the time, we were both teaching a very specific style of physical yoga. And it had a very tight-knit community and culture, if you will. So this was a really powerful thing. Because when you were a yoga teacher of this style, we would all meet up from all parts of the country, and even folks from around the world. And we just spend these concentrated weekends studying together, doing practices together. And these weekends in community offered such profound experiences of our hearts, 
it ex- completely accelerated our teaching prowess and our teaching skills too. And when I was contemplating this interview and the power of community, I was remembering that Aristotle quote that's so good that says, mm-hmm. the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so I thought it a really lovely foray into our conversation. If you could speak about your journey of your experience with Mm. the extra power and accelerated growth, that's both the boon and the blessing. And maybe you can share your experience of this maybe as a student in community at first and now ultimately as a leader that you've been for decades. I know you've birthed (laughs) studios all over the country. And so I just love to hear you know, your take Mm. on the power of community? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think inside each of us, there's something that seeks deep belonging. And I think that, you know, if we really look at even just that feeling of wanting to be accepted, right, to be loved, to be seen, to be heard, coming together in a community and in our school, we called it Akula, of like-minded hearts, where there was a power where you felt safe. You felt like, wow, this is the people I want to be around. They, they see me. I'm in a space that feels, you know, in a lot of ways at home. The safety to that is that we can emanate more joy. We can be together and there's a, there's a wonderful upliftment that happens. And there is a lot more generation of power, especially when obviously, you know, your energy is going to flow where your attention goes, right? And we know that. And then all these hearts coming together really can magnify that experience, even for the individual. And for me, it was the philosophy that had the tantric philosophy was at the time, it it wasn't very popular. And in the past, all the the older traditions, I would try so hard. I try so hard to like it, but it was separating. It was separating the embodiment from the divine. And that dualistic type of uh, experience never felt right to me. It felt like we were all just sitting back and staring at this something that we could never get. And I think that when we came together in this one community, it really grew like wildfire because it was new at the time. And it was lighting people up to saying, no, we can celebrate life here And now we are all sparks of the divine and that life affirming philosophy that like helped us to celebrate, it was almost like a revival of the sixties or something inside of us that was like, yay, you know, this is, this speaks to me. And of course, even then just seeing the whole body, right. And recognizing that, you know, even in our asana practice, how it was always so broken apart and mysterious. And then to come together and understand that, oh, like, you know, I move one part, it affects the whole fabric of my body. So there was a lot to that power at the time. And it had to do with the time. We have moved on in technology in a lot of ways. And when things get really big, what happens is there's a lot of empowerment happening and there's a lot of growth. And it's like anything in nature. If you look at a tree, or I would say even like a shrub or a plant or your garden, you have to prune it. It can't just keep growing wildly. It actually isn't healthy for it. And at a certain point in time when community, this is the way I kind of saw it. It was, it was kind of like trying to grow with the same head on top. And it's kind of like it was getting, it was just getting too big and it's going to topple over. So what needed to happen was lots of pruning, 
and lots of different seeds planted. You can actually cut plants and put them directly in the ground, like certain plants, right? You don't have to wait for them to take root. They just need their own foundation and soil. And so to me, it's, it's like that in general with community. We have to be willing to lift each other up. We have to be willing to let each other go. When I say let each other go, I mean, it's this sense of, yeah, you got this, you know, like yoga is not, or, or even just life. It's, it's not about holding dearly on. We want to honor change. You know, we want to know that we've made a difference in people's lives and we can come together and see each other and say, yay, I love you. But I think that that's just a natural cycle of, of nature. Hmm. Well, there's so many things I want to unpack that you said that were so great. First of all, just to contextualize for our listeners, because some people might not quite resonate or are familiar with the term dualism. So there are certain philosophies, spiritually, psychologically, you know, and many different frontiers that talk about dual, where things are two. And the system you were referring to, Sue, that you and I were studying at the time and, and teaching was non-dual, which means one, which is basically the philosophy. And really, we hearken to it earlier that the body, the mind, everything we experience in life can be a gateway to experiencing one's humanity, one's divinity, however you want to think about it, the common denominational life force energy. And then there's some philosophies and systems which are totally something to be honored and they're another gateway in where you separate things. So like oil and water, you might pull them apart, spirit and matter. You might like just go into spirit and kind of have this intention to leave your body for a little bit and then come back as opposed to experiencing the body and spirit at once. So it's so interesting because I love, love how you talked about this idea of community and we were part of this community that really did get so big. And I hadn't thought of that analogy before. So sometimes when I think either it's a timing thing, as you said, it can be timing and time space communities. It's time to shift during the pandemic times, of course, that happened unexpectedly to so many communities. And how you said that beautiful metaphor of sometimes with community, it gets so big and so it will topple over and it naturally has to be rooted in some different places and spread out. And then also you alluded to the seeds, that idea of seeds just come off of a plant and really they just naturally germinate, right? That's a benefit of community as well, which is so, so beautiful. The thing that is so important about what you spoke of and really important to talk about when you talk about community is that sometimes, you know, communities can last eons and eons. And then for many listeners have been on a journey like Sue and I, where there's the reality that sacred communities can fracture or dissolve, you know, and there's pain with that. There's trauma, there's growth too. And so I thought maybe we could even talk about yeah. that a little bit, like key strategies to kind of I, I love about. that. Yeah. Because, you know, like you just said, there's communities that last eons. And I think that there needs to be some kind of collaborative agreement rather than it being a vertical model of one person making decisions. So to me, what I think would be a more sustainable model is something, I don't know if it, it exists right now, but this idea of collective leadership, mm-hmm. where we're looking out for each other, like we know we're looking out for each other. We're looking after ourselves, and we're also caring for others. 
we just moved up to a very small little river town called Frenchtown in New Jersey. And there is something happening there. There is an incredible energy. There's a lot of new businesses showing up and new uh, ideas. And there's this excitement that's happening. And what I'm seeing is the businesses owners are kind of looking out for each other, you know, and it's like, I got you, you know, and there's a very sweet thing about that feeling like, oh, like I can, I can relax a little bit. You know, I don't have to be always in this competitive mode. I can be in a collaborative space. And so I think that that's a good way to think about how we're going to move forward in our world is that we need each other. If we don't get it, it's going to get us. Like we're going to notice through catastrophe and through, you know, even just natural disasters or whatever it is that people come together. Totally. No, the, the collaborative energy, you know, and that horizontal paradigm is for sure, for sure the trajectory. I think that's sustainable for the future. It's an interesting thing because having been a part of communities where there's a more top-down approach, I think it's an interesting thing even maybe for our listeners to discuss because there are going to be times, like even you, you own a business, right? So in many circumstances, there has to be someone who's leading, right? Like there has to be a visionary, someone who's holding intentionality at least. And I think when I was reflecting, listening to you speak, which was really valuable, I feel like trusting one's own gut and one's own experience of whoever is the visionary or at the helm when it has to be that way too. Mm -hmm. Yes. And having reflection and having people you trust that you can ask for that reflection back. I make a lot of decisions for my business, but I don't go against, if it's like there's three of us and we're, we're all kind of talking about it and I'm asking my husband, I'm asking my manager, I want to feel it. I want, I know that it will succeed if all of our energies are on that page to rise yeah. up, not just me plowing ahead and ignoring everybody behind me. And that's what I kind of mean by that. It doesn't mean that there isn't going to be somebody that needs to set the tone and create the vision, but there has to be energy behind it. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? And the energy can come first from your own urge. Like for me, there's always been this enormous irrepressible urge to infuse my environment with more Shri. In Sanskrit, the word Shri means that beauty, that value, the abundance, the light, right? I want to bring healing into a space, right? And so I have my own intention that I can navigate through my inner compass, right? Through my heart. But then I also have people around me, like I can hold that space, but then I, I want to also listen and, and feel that there's an agreement happening in, in the community. Because yeah. if not, the discord is, is all energy to me. And community, community making is an energy endeavor. <laughs> Completely. I was just thinking, I was just like listening to your words. And what came to mind is thinking about just holding like a similar vibratory intention and mm-hmm. frequency and how like you have to line up frequencies. And like you're saying, if there's too many different frequencies, there's not going to be flow and resonance and, and and really tying it back to what you said earlier, too, of just in community, we really feel optimally when we're safe, we feel safe and we mm-hmm. feel seen. And I think that's a beautiful touchstone, even when you're leading a community, 
you know, thinking about other people's ideas. Like if people don't feel safe to share their ideas or they don't feel like seen slash heard, right? right? Like as a leader, if you're not listening to that as you're you're doing and I, I can attest to because I worked with you and really technically for you that you do that implementation of, of safety and seeing. Like, so if you're going to a space, do I feel safe? Do I feel seen? Mm-hmm. If you're helping co-create a space, do I feel safe? Do I feel seen, heard? You know, that's a beautiful mm-hmm. takeaway. I, I also think that there's an authenticity and an integrity if you're the community leader. And I think people can feel that, you know, like if you're not living what you're teaching or preaching or whatever Mm -hmm. you're doing, I think that that is where a lot of misalignments happen. And that's where things fracture more. And it's okay. Like sometimes those things have to shift because people just turn the page and they're on a different path and no judgment, but just note that like for me, I, I would always laugh you know when someone was in in community and it just was out of tune i would be like just wait just wait it's not going to it can't last it won't the vibrations aren't matching and it will bounce out without it having to be such bad conflict in the process i mean i personally am not one that feeds off of conflict because i'm more of a peacemaker i'm i'm more nurturer you know so i know how to wield it in a way that it generally works for me. And I can always sense it like way ahead of time, even, even just teachers that are really trying to like be a certain type of teacher and they're not quite getting it, you know, like you can kind of feel it. Right. So that's it. That comes back to that idea of just trusting your own gut. Like when you go to communities, when you're working with others, always go back to one's own gut and one's own experience. I think that's like such an important takeaway vibrating at this similar rhythm, right? That's really this idea of this word of community. Uh, you and I have shared this in many yoga and meditative communities talk about kula, it's called. And it means the community of the heart. You know, it's that sharing the same vibratory intention and frequency and really vision. When I was thinking about community, you know, we think about community within relationship with others. And the Kula also is the community within your own self, right? All the parts of you that come together. And I think that sometimes we disconnect from our own self without realizing it. And I believe a big part of it is that we're not, I know I keep coming back to this. You can tell this is where I'm living right now, but I believe that we don't feel connected to the plants, to the trees, to the birds. We don't feel like we are connecting around us to understand ourselves. Does that make sense? And we've kind of disrupted this balance in nature and we go to sit in nature and people, are, they squirm if they're like, touching the flo- you know, touching the earth without putting something underneath their bodies. Or, and I think that this feeling of belonging is tied to land. And it's tied to us feeling like this is us and this is who we are. And when we feel solid within ourselves, because we feel solid and connected to something more than ourselves, which is nature, which is who we are, does that make sense? Then we as a community within ourselves, are going to be a refuge for others. We're going to just be naturally a safe haven for people. 
Does that make sense? So I think some of it is learning how to connect to yourself, which is connecting to nature, which will then help you connect in relationship to the world. Totally. No, the going within so I could go out. Um, One of the existential poets talked about that. (laughs) And it's so, so true. And so many episodes of my talking about like different ways to do that because it's one of my main squeeze practices. And I know for you too is really communing with nature to know oneself, like Mm -hmm. you said, to be one's own community within, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. the community members being, you know, one's soul, one's psyche, you know, the shadow, the light, all of the things, right? You collect your community within. I love that we can use nature as a, a touchstone for that and learning to do different practices to be in nature because we are, especially if we live in urban environments where I had my meditation yoga studio, right? There are people who like, I would talk about, you know, these things and, and nature. And I'd have people say to me, oh my God, like I haven't even been to a park in a couple years, right? And on the yoga mats, if you practice physical, different practices, even Tai Chi and different traditions, right? We're we're making our bodies like trees. We're making our bodies like Mm -hmm. lions. We're making our bodies like, you know, fill in the blank. So there's this attempt to even emulate Mm -hmm. and re- connect the synapse within ourselves with so many practices. And I think what you said is a really, really beautiful point. Thank you. You and I were part of this community and it fractured. It got, you know, too big. And then, you know, there was leadership that wasn't quite in optimal alignment, (laughs) which often happens in spiritual communities. So I think both happen. Of course, like all relationships, right? They're such a learning growth edge. I was thinking about like, okay, what do you learn when communities do fracture? And, you know, what are the challenges? And I was thinking, well, definitely resiliency and definitely practicing, you know, trusting in the timing of things in the universe, like we spoke about, definitely practicing surrendering. And also the whole phase, and you and I have spoken about this and, you know, you and I have taught trainings together and we teach about this, but I'd love you to share with the listeners the idea of really the sanctity of the dissolution and dying phase of things. Mm -hmm. Like I know myself personally, I'm a really solid initiator. I'm (laughs) a really, really good sustainer. And I totally authentically admit I can be fabulous at releasing people in situations at times like I excel. And then totally other times I have a harder time of that dissolution phase. And communities dying and dissolving has been a big teacher to me of that and the importance of that phase of releasing and composting. And it really mm-hmm. goes back to when you talked about, right, being part of the food chain. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear, well, yeah, your take on just the dissolution phase, especially being such an earth goddess and a gardener and all those things. It's the saying about the bud has to die for the bloom to be born or something mm. like that. You know, there has to be, it's part of the play and it's part of life to experience the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows. And, and we learn from them and not always happily, right? So every time we go through that cycle, something has changed inside of us. And I, I like to look at it like life is not a circle as much as it's a spiral, because even though we might revisit something, Like we might go back to that feeling like, oh God, here I am at that dark place again and it hurts and I'm, you know, in that dissolution phase. And it's, it's not like you're, you're stuck in a loop. It's that, you know, you haven't seen 
it's a curve in the road and there, there's still, there's still a lot more growth happening. You just can't quite see where the bend is taking you. And with enough of them, you begin to trust it a little bit more. I have had so many dissolutions. As you know, I have birthed studios and I've let them go. And they've always been painful because I knew that I had to, I mean, I leapt across the country and then leapt across states and, you know, left communities, you know, almost midstream sometimes and felt crushed that I wouldn't see these people anymore. The mama in me, you know, the, the, or, you know, just the nurturer, you know, had that, that heaviness in my heart. And yet every time I had to take that leap and that, that jump for, you know, various reasons, I realized that I was just expanding. It wasn't like those people weren't still there, even though you didn't see them as much. They were part of your fabric. You've already woven them in. And, you know, sometimes you get to revisit kind of like your photo album or whatever. We used to have them <laughs> or your journals. Let's just go, go back and look in your journals, you know, and, mm -hmm. and revisit things as just a wonderful way, again, to delight in those memories. And to not feel like it's something wrong that it changed, you know, change is everything, you know, it's the, it is everything. <laughs> it is the totally. only thing. <laughs> so I think that, you know, it's funny. I happened to, I don't know how I stumbled on this quote by Debbie Ford and she wrote, it's not about getting rid of the darkness. It's about bringing in the light. So it's just seeing like putting light on the hard spot. You might even have a sense of it as it happens. I remember feeling when I was watching a community start to, like it was going, I could feel the ground underneath me shaking. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, I think it's happening again. I think mm -hmm. it, and, I, and I was able to put light on it and watch it so that I could witness and not get so sucked into it that I wasn't able to keep my momentum my objective to stay in my energy and in my focus and in my space of my intention, because like, that's what's going to keep us, you know, it's almost like Artemis, you know, you can focus even in the midst of the fallout. Exactly. So you just, you're just leaping in the air as things are kind of falling, <laughs> you know? I love that. Well, and it's such a beautiful uh, analogy, bringing the light. And when you talked about like, more like a spiral because I often think of like that idea of the spiral staircase and like sometimes we can come back to a situation you know in our minds or we're in a situation currently and we think oh my god I'm back at that old situation again mm -hmm. but really you know when we're on the path of consciousness we're going up the spiral staircase and we might be at the same point but it's like we've got a different vantage point we have a different view and like you said then we can watch it like artemis mm -hmm. with the arrow and witness it all and when we know that there's always these cycles like you said this pulsation continually going on in our lives of creation and sustenance and dissolution and creation comes again and sustenance and dissolution and in the dissolution there's the composting mm -hmm. and all of the things we're letting go of including community or relationships marriages whatever we're letting go of bad habits it's all like this compost that makes the soil richer as you said for that next growth and expansion the last couple years i've been really trying to ride the currents of the seasons and the flavors of each season. And it's not easy, but like, you know, the last couple of years has given me a little bit more time to reflect. And 
what I have found is like in the winter time, the winter is the season of, of like putting the garden to rest. It's the darkness. It is actually a time where you can reflect more on that shedding and also that feeling where you just shouldn't be creating. And it's hard to do because we're usually on one speed, right? So it's like you can have your ideas, but you're still really trying to stay quiet, like stay in it a little bit longer, like give yourself, you know, almost like the way the moon cycles are too, even in, in one month there, I feel like if we were to do it more regularly within ourselves, we wouldn't be as shaken by the big stuff. Does that make sense? Cause we totally. become more resilient when we continue to cycle through them over the course of our lives versus yeah. try to stay safe, try not to let anything happen. And then boom, it happened. It's kind of like ignore, 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 and then boom. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful. And as you're talking about the, the idea we've been speaking of, of taking the cues off of nature and living more in sync with nature, because the, when we're doing so, then that's, you know, when the flow and the magic reveals itself more fully, because, you know, nature is completely in the flow and completely in sync with the energy of the universe and the divine. I know one practice I love to do, I do regularly is with the seasons, I make like a little altar and I put it on my kitchen table. And mm. it's just like, I mean, you people come in, they don't even think it's like a traditional altar. You know, it's just literally this like yeah. pretty plate and I'll put fruit of the season or, you know, like in the fall, I'll pick up some leaves, some color leaves and some different things. Over the years, my kids will like play with them. And it reminds me too of what you're saying, like, oh, right. Every day I'm thinking about nature and you know the deciduous trees because we live on the east coast of the united states turn their leaves mm -hmm. and then they release them okay right what can i be releasing today right exactly so it's a beautiful thing people could think about doing putting on your desk in the office you know just like a little, little bowl and maybe you put some things that remind you of what's happening in nature outside and, and syncing up and living in tandem with that and to take it one step further, even, I think, is that we're doing all of these things, not just to make ourselves feel better, but to actually make the earth healthier. Because the more we bring earth into our life and see it and see the mystery and the magic in the changing of the seasons and really feed it, right, and feed ourselves with it, we're going to get healthier as human beings living on a healthier earth. You know, that's the whole idea of regenerative living to me is like leaving the planet better than the way we came, right? And it does require our world and everyone in it to slow down and to observe and to learn from nature. And I know I keep coming back to it. It seems to be our theme, but I really do believe that it's all woven and connected, you know? Well, it is. It <laughs> totally is because we've been for many hundreds of years, you could argue more than that, in this conquering mode, yeah. right? We've like to conquer nature instead of living in tandem with nature. And that's what our ancestors did. I did a whole episode not so long mm. ago for those listeners who haven't heard it yet on, you know, connecting to your ancestors. And, and this is the wisdom, like, you know, it's only been a handful of generations where people were only doing that, right? It's really very recently 
that as a society, collectively, we've been totally cut off from the earth. And then look what's happened. Like Mm -hmm. it's only been several generations that we are, you know, raping and pillaging the earth. So to your point, exactly, you know, we become healthier and then we become more stewards of this earth. And then, oh, we survive on planet earth and don't have mm -hmm. to instantly terraform Mars. That's another, you know, important (laughs) detail. (laughs) You know, Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you, because it's really a talent of yours, and you mentioned this overwhelming, I don't know how you put it, but impulse to beautify spaces Mm. or add Shri, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is a Sanskrit word, as you detailed, for beauty and energy and life force. And it's really a talent of yours. So I would ask you, would you share with our listeners just a few tips and hacks of how you approach making sacred spaces? Because you really do have a gift with this. What you just said to me and how you shared that you bring something from each season in to your home and it brings you joy to see the the changing of the leaves, right? Things like that. So we have to know what we value. We have to feel connection to that and bring it and share it, bring it forward and share it, right? And that way we can continue to refresh ourselves by seeing it regularly. And that continues to remind people as well of their own, you know, connection. So in terms of creating sacred space, I have always done it in a weird way by myself. And just recently, I decided to share my like what I would do, like I just birthed a new studio a month ago. And I would normally, I do my own meditation and chant. And so there's like, there's song, right? There's your heart song. There's, you know, there's beautiful smells. There's the offerings of fruit and flower and water and grain. And there's that what we call in Sanskrit, like puja, right? We give puja, we give offerings to that which is seen and unseen in our life that we are grateful for. So it's just adding that element of gratitude. And often I've done that, either I've been witness to it, or I've done it on my own. And I always see energy from you know, whatever space I'm going to be inhabiting in, I, I immediately add it to my meditation every day. And so I can, you can almost imagine like this incredible power of the earth, the magnetic core of this crystalline earth, having sheer power pouring up from the earth into your space. And then equally from above, you can imagine there's this gorgeous light of energy of the life force of the sun and it pours down. And so I have like a, almost like a bar of light. And people have actually told me that when I've left spaces, they're like, oh my God, so it was like someone unplugged the light. And I laugh because I never tell people that. Like people would think I'm crazy, you know? So, and I have been doing that since the 90s. You know, that has always been the way I personally invoke intention, mm. right? Into mm-hmm. things. So people can feel something, you know, that, that mm-hmm. is important in that way. And then, you know, like I said, you can do it with lighting, you know, something warm and scents are beautiful to give like an essential oil. If you don't feel comfortable making sound, putting on something beautiful, some kind of beautiful sound. What I did is I spent about four hours in my space by myself and I had the most beautiful mantras playing that I just allowed to infuse into the walls of the space. So it's in the Vedic tradition, the Rudram. So I'm like, I'm purifying my space and I'm bringing in and I'm calling in 
and calling in, you know, our ancestors and the gods and the goddesses and, you know, whatever you believe is supporting you and your life. And you're allowing the space to be gifted with their presence. And to me, that's that mystical quality that Mm -hmm. isn't always talked about, (laughs) you know? I I love that. I want to recap for the listeners a few things mm -hmm. you said because they were so potent and I think helpful for people. One is like visualizing whatever makes sense to you. As Sue said, whatever you love, whatever you value, and whatever you feel like you source energy from. So like when you talked about your beautiful visualization of crystalline energy coming up from the earth and then like light pouring down you know, through the roof, like the visualization attracts energy that will be infused in your space. So people not underestimating the power of visualization is really important because our visualization is a magnet. You know, our minds, you know, are like metal and we literally attract what we think about. So that's one that can be very powerful. And like Sue said, also, you know, really pulling in things that appeal to your own senses and your sensibility, you know, so thinking about smell, thinking about sound, you know, obviously thinking about visuals, but, you know, as humans, we come into spaces and we have six senses, five of which, you know, you can check off a list and Mm -hmm. think about, because I think some people are really visual, you know, like I've been in spaces where it's like beautiful visually, which is so wonderful, but then maybe there's not a, you know, it kind of smells funky, Mm -hmm. you know, and that can really, really throw me off, you know? So thinking about like you're saying, really adding Mm -hmm. the quality of secretity through all the senses. Like there can be a beautiful space and not a lot of heart in the space. Mm -hmm. So you're waiting for something to get you and you don't feel like you walk in and feel like it's welcoming you. It's, it's almost and like you said, it can be like a like whether it's a smell or just a feeling that sets you away versus mm-hmm. welcomes you in, you know, and I know that sounds very esoteric, but everything is vibration. And if we kind of remember, like even people, if they have a big argument and there's the vibration in the room is still there after they leave. So for me, like I'm I'm sensitive. So I would either clear it with smoke, blessing herbs, or you can actually go around your house with pots and pans. When I was little, when the kids were little, we used to do that. We'd go around and everyone, because they love to make sound, right? Smash the pots and pans around and clean the space. You can clean the space with sound. Another thing you can do is you can take like a coffee can and put either rice or beans. I don't know if you've done this one and Mm -hmm. you shake it and you can do that all the lines of the space, like where seams, where walls meet, where a door frame mm-hmm. is. And you can even do that around your own arc field. Like you could do it around your body, people. So check that out. <laughs> There's That's a hack, right. you know, to break up energy, you know, unwanted or stuck or stale energy. So you can do that around yourself. Right. The rattle is to break up that the kind of negative energy and the drum actually calls in the positive. It's like this beating of the heart. It's the heartbeat mm-hmm. of the earth. So there's a lot that you can do, you know, and you don't want to do anything that feels awkward or uncomfortable. And you can start really simple. And mm-hmm. most people will look around their house and see so many beautiful little altars that they've created just out of their own arranging of the things that are precious to them, you know, and that's really so where it true. begins. So true. Like you said, like that, which matters to you and you, 
really feel is valued is where to begin. And and also I want to highlight what you're saying, simplicity, because a lot of times with spirituality or mysticism, you know, people can get overwhelmed and even abort doing anything because they feel like, oh, it has to be, oh, I got to go order a drum and I got to get a coffee thing. And then, right. And like you're saying, like, start simple, go outside, get an acorn, <laughs> you exactly. know, start there and like put it on a windowsill and people will marvel. Literally, I've had that. <laughs> like I've had a studio and then like I put an acorn somewhere, literally on a little windowsill and people are like, oh, that's so beautiful because, you know, <laughs> they're taking the time to look at me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love that. <laughs> well, another, you know, shadow, so to speak, or you talked about bringing light to darkness, which is beautiful as opposed to eradicating darkness. And I want to really be authentic and talk about how I feel like in many mindfulness and spiritual communities, particularly where you and I live in the United States, I would even get really minutia, though many people listening don't have interest in this, but particularly even in like a yoga studio, because you and I share that background. But regardless, a very big shadow in the collective psyche of, I feel like, Western women specifically, is the idea of competition over collaboration. And it's funny because when I started becoming a teacher of practices and spirituality and such, I felt this. There wasn't like proof of this and no one spoke of this and there was nowhere to Google or read about this. And then I had some Indian female friends one day and I like mentioned it and they all looked at me like, yeah, duh, Kilkenny. Yeah, it's a thing, you know, and just the whole corroboration of my experience from them was really, really beautiful and validating. They laughed like they always joked about this, this feeling of like a kind of competition and, and undercutting they would see in spiritual communities. And recently I've read about this phenomenon and it really stems psychologically from what sociologists call the witch wound, quote unquote. And this is becoming more and more of a known phenomenon. So I wanted to talk about it with you because one of the things that I really appreciated when you and I started collaborating together was I didn't feel this from you. And I really seek out other women to work with, with whom I don't feel this because it's something that I've noticed a lot and have felt a lot. And it's something that I've really done a lot of work at looking, you know, within myself. And then when I was building community, really making sure and holding people accountable about working on within themselves and as a community. So I wanted to speak with you about this. And, and have you experienced this as well? And have you noticed this? And just, yeah, unpack this witch phenomenon. Yeah, I know. It is a phenomenon. And it's something I feel has cyclically come to the surface again. We just haven't always said those words. And I think more and more saying those words is important because if we think back into our tissue, into the times where, yes, we all might have felt like we've been judged and shamed, right? You know, put to fire really and burned because of our beliefs and because we were different. And there is something that lives on a collective. And I think women, not, not just women though, men too, for their beliefs were killed for years and years and years. This has been over, I don't even know how many, you know, hundreds of years. I think that that is something that we have to accept that happened, right? And that it, when it comes up, 
like when we feel like, ooh, I've got that feeling, right? Again, we want to put light to it, not just be afraid, be afraid to say something, you know, like, like we have to be able to speak our words now, you know, we have to be able to get it out because it's going to still live inside. And I think that if you can look at it from a, a perspective that's greater than just the moment, and, and for me, it's like, I've always tried to give people the benefit of the doubt, knowing that they are injured when they choose to harm. They're going to exit out of my life if they're not choosing to live in a certain way, because we just won't, we won't mesh, right? But I've also watched people in my life come back around after they've harmed me. And when I say harmed me, like not, not physically, I just mean like, they they did definitely didn't have my best interest in mind when they chose to make that choice. And then they came back around and were apologizing to me for those things that they did. And some of it is like being able to kind of hold witness to it and create loving distance from it. Like I create distance and I just, what I don't want to do is harm myself more when people act that way by getting into that energy as well. Does that make sense? That's why you don't feel it for me, because I work really hard at trying not to create that <laughs> because I know that it exists and I don't yeah. necessarily think it's helping anybody to stoop in a way, you know, to a level that we've already kind of done, you know, in a way. And we're not going to get along with everybody. We're not going to agree with everybody. And we can create distance from people that we don't need to sync up with in this moment. You know, when we talk about the word witch, a witch is, is someone who's devoted to nature. A, a witch is, you know, a wise, a wise one, sometimes an elder, you know, we think of it as that. But, you know, when we're really truly like, like a good witch, so to speak, right? We're trying to create more, you know, we're trying to actually create more alignment. We're not trying to make it things worse, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It has to, one of my precious teachers, her name is Marisha Murnowska, she said this, and I wanted to repeat this if we were going to talk about witch wound, because to me, this is so important if, if you recognize yourself in any way as a witch. And what she said is that we witches have to learn first how to master their own nervous system. And in doing so, think about that. Think about like how much we can wield and how much power we will have over, you know, the relationships in our life. If we ourselves can recognize when our nervous system, when we're being triggered, when our energy is being shifted and manipulated, right? And I, th so I think just to interject, because it's a brilliant statement. And I think that's the whole point of mysticism. Like, yeah. you know, what, whatever you're called, shaman, you know, if you're, if you're like an agnostic, like all of it, it's a, it's a great way to put it. I mean, that's why Buddha and, you know, so many different mystics in so many different traditions, right, meditated and did practices to master the nervous system. Exactly. That's what Freud's talking about. That's what Jung's talking about, right? But it, like, it, it's it never dawned point. on me that it was like a witch as well. And like the mm -hmm. idea of the word witch, I will say that I know that people around me will look at me sideways if I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a green witch. Mm -hmm. And I have to be okay with that because I create witchy potions because I want to heal people. You know, it's just what I want to do. I want to, I want to feed and nourish. And I know that nature has 
the best potion out there. You know? <laughs> well, and it's such a it's such an interesting phenomenon. And just to like contextualize it a little bit historically, because some people are going to be like, "Witch wound? What?" I know, and they're, like, I know, I know. The <laughs> podcast episode and googling, right? Okay, <laughs> so let me just like harken back to the idea of this whole notion of witch wound. So a lot of us know and have heard about the famous Salem witch trials that happened in Massachusetts in the United States. And some of you who are living in Europe, right, have, you know, historical context about this as well. But it's been estimated by modern scholars, and this is a conservative estimate, that approximately 40,000 to 50,000 individuals, most were women, some were men, but mostly were women, were executed for witchcraft in Europe and the American colonies for over several hundreds of years. So what would happen is that whoever was either the judge or the priest or the mayor in a given town or area, right, whoever had the powers of persecution essentially, would essentially, you know, say someone was called a witch or accused of being a witch, would, would go and gather them and then put pressure on this woman to turn in other witches in the area to save themselves and their family. Mm. So what it did was it really fractured relationships, particularly among women, mm -hmm. because, you know, a sister, a friend even, you know, there are many tales of even you know, sisters and cousins, right, were put in a position where they felt like they had to choose, you know, themselves and their family over their, you know, sisters and and family and, and dear ones. So this happened for hundreds of years. So there's this like collective memory in our unconscious even. If you believe in karma, you could say there's this karmic memory in the psyches of, of women of European descent, whether we know it or not, that really can show up for us in community. So as Sue said, it's a really important thing to like contemplate mm. it. Um, within ourselves, you know, when we're in, particularly as women, sisterhood, if that feeling of collaboration or, you know, jealousy or what have you, particularly in communities, like when women gather, because it, it was this group kind of intimidation that that mm -hmm. happened. And now, like, it is pretty amazing to me, this word witch, because I remember being a teenager and having a few different people I was hanging out with whisper to me like, oh, I'm a witch when I was in different, you know, yoga and meditative communities and shamanic communities. But it was like whispered. And I remember being like, huh. Personally, I didn't really resonate with that word because my teachers and traditions weren't using that word. For me, it was like priestess or yogi. And then as I got older, you know, more and more women were like, yeah, I'm a witch and I'm a witch. And then people are like, you're a witch. Don't you know it? Like <laughs> you're doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh, am I? Like, oh, witch. And then I started studying that word. And then I studied with a shaman a little bit. And he was the one who was like, yeah, like, you know, the herbalist, as you said, Sue, like the medicine people, like I'm a shaman. Well, what do you think is the opposite of me? It's a witch, you know? <laughs> And, and that really was sweet when I lived in the mountains. And um, now, right, like on Instagram and everywhere, there's this like, I feel like in the last five years, this huge resurgence mm -hmm. and reclamation and of and this word. And, yeah. And, and exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like you said, bringing it to the, to the forefront and naming these things as this process of, of healing, really the divine feminine too, right? Exactly. Yeah, 100%. What's happening on this planet on so many layers and levels right now, right, as we watch old structures get broken down. And, you know, we're seeing a, a surge of this urge, like to be in that 
space of the creative and the healing and the the magic and the transformation, right? It's the Well, and and it's so interesting because I feel like with this word and I'm just, you know, thinking about you and I and our tradition of yoga, which is a lot about unifying masculine and feminine energies within ourselves and then of course within this world and really thinking about this word witch because recently someone asked me like well I'm a man and I want to be a witch and I've heard of the the male witches and I thought that was just so beautiful and really interesting you know we're moving towards this time of where people are you know there's more talk of androgyny gender Mm -hmm. fluidity all these things where there's this really amazing consciousness burgeoning of like healing this fracturing of divine masculinity of divine femininity however you want to think about it right but you know the idea that like yeah probably in 20 years there'll be as many male witches as female witches i guess and you know this this unification and i've heard even in astrology lands like that for those friends who listen to astrology western astrology paradigm that the sign of libra which is this weaving in right masculine feminine witch shaman whatever however you want to think about it earth sky is going to be the doorway to the age of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, whoa, that really like expanded <laughs> my consciousness of like, yeah, like we're, we were so far swung one way to the masculine. Mm-hmm. And now it's like we've, we're swinging back to feminine. And then you spoke of early on, like how can we co-mingle it all mm-hmm. to usher in this new age of consciousness? I I, mm. Yes, it's, that's it. I think it's happening. I I don't think everyone is on on that page and I don't think we'll need everyone on that page for the planet to have a shift, right? So I think there's just going to be those that are the light workers of the world that are doing it, sometimes not as outwardly as mm-hmm. as others, but I believe that, you know, there there's a balance that's happening. As much as we see a lot of the dark stuff happening on the planet, I really think it's also helping to bring in the light. Does that make sense? It's that idea, like we're seeing it on the outside as a, there's more people getting motivated to really make a difference. There are. No, I I totally make sense. And I agree with you. It's the tipping point, right? It doesn't take everyone. It takes enough people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I have this podcast to share these ideas, right? Because if you're a listener and you're aligning with these ideas and learning from them and living them, then you are part of the growing numerology that will be the tipping point to really bring our world into a much, much more harmonious place Mm. and serving like your beautiful intention, the earth and the healing of the earth, thus the healing of ourselves and Mm. the healing of ourselves as we heal the earth. Well, I was wondering, you are such a gorgeous and eloquent meditation teacher. Would you be willing to close out this interview with just like a short few minute centering or meditation or benediction, whatever feels mm. right for you? Mm. So yes, I would, I would love to sit together and just take a pause. So much has been said and it's nice to give it a moment to land even into the tissue of our bodies. So if you'd like, we can take that pause together as we uncross our legs. If you're sitting in a chair or just find a nice seat where you can elongate your spine, 
and close your eyes. And notice your breath and then intentionally take a deeper breath in. And as you exhale, follow your breath and let it help you to settle and soften not only your awareness, but your physical body just a little bit more towards the earth. Sending your awareness downward, your root system energetically to the earth. And just feeling how gravity is always holding you. You can feel the pulse of gravity allowing you to surrender, to release, and to let go just a little bit more downward. And in that deep and rooted place, you can follow a nice, beautiful inhalation and let it travel up your spine, growing a little taller, maybe feeling how the breath creates an inner widening and a smile as it uplifts your heart. You can even feel the crown of your head stretching upward as though there's a beautiful sun above you. If you can reach for a little bit more light. And just the way sun feeds all of life, let that light pour back into you from the crown of your head and just delight in a beautiful shower of light, filling your body, letting it touch every cell. And as we feel ourselves both connected to this great earth and to sky, we can let our awareness settle even a little further down into the very seat of our heart. It might be nice if, it's com if you're comfortable to put your hands on your heart, that heart space. Feel the warmth of your hands melting your heart, opening your heart. Feeling gratitude in your heart for the gifts of your life. The gifts of such good company, this community. So grateful for the wisdom that's shared on this podcast. I want to leave us with just a little poem. It's one of the Radiant Sutras. It's very simple. The heart of the universe pulses in all hearts. There is one who is the life in all forms. There is one who is joyful in simply existing in all bodies, as all bodies. Explore the life that is the life of your present form. One day you will discover it is not different from the life of the secret one. And your heart will sing triumphant songs of being home everywhere. We can bring the hands to Anjali, palms together at the heart, and we just bow our head to that great light in our heart. May that light guide you all in all that you do. Thank you. Mm, that was so delightful and delicious. Thank you so, so much. You're so welcome. I love that Radiant Sutra, mm -hmm. and it's just really such the teaching 
of community. So thank you for sharing that and gifting us that as like a party favor <laughs> to take with us in our community. Because when we really do see that oneness, that life that's present in all the forms, as the sutra said, when we're feeling that tension in community with someone or, you know, all the things that can come up in community, it's like that practice of, right, the oneness we share this life force. Or, you know, I, I remember uh, years ago, uh, one of my teachers taught me to walk down the street and everyone I see say the word ma, which is the Sanskrit word for mother, mm. you know, in that practice. And you can do that with any word that is sweet to you. You could say like joy, joy, or love, love, or you, know, you could, you could but just uh, really the idea of same life force in everyone when we're in community, trying to practice that and looking upon everyone with that truth. So really, really gorgeous sharing. Thank mm, you, Sue. So welcome. Sue, where can folks find out more about you, your incredible community and the work you offer this world? Well, my yoga studio is called Dig, D-I-G, and it's Dig Yoga in Frenchtown, New Jersey. We just moved there and we are live stream as well. So that's the beauty now of being able to offer our teachings in a hybrid form. Yeah, we offer wonderful things. I'm also offering some retreats, which is really nice for people that want to be outside, like nourish and nature type of retreats in the area where I live and also far out there. I'm actually taking some time to go back to my beloved place of Greece where I'll be this fall, which I love it there as well. And sharing some time on um, some farmland in Pennsylvania at Rodale Institute, which is a science and research center, which I'm a just a great advocate of, of the earth and supporting them. So yeah, I'm doing a lot of different things. And of course, always in training, <laughs> teaching students and teachers is, is our passion at DIG. So we're there as well. And yeah, you can find us at digyoga.com, really, if you're interested in anything. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. Check Sue's work out. She and her beloved are offering really highest quality of practices in all forms. So check them out. Sue also has made a supremely lovely PDF all about how to create sacred space as a gift for all of my monthly mystic members. Mm. So incredible. So podcast listeners who are my monthly members, enjoy this really beautiful offering from Sue. And thanks to all of you for your membership supports the work of this podcast. If you want to support this podcast while supporting yourself and aren't a monthly mystic member yet, head on over to my website, modernmystic.love and get my entire yoga, meditation, and mystic hack video library, which includes all sorts of phenomenal discounts and free offerings from my guests as a monthly member, such as this most generous PDF from Sue there. Sue, thank you for your leadership, your inspiration, and your wisdom, which is really, really making the tipping point of light and goodness and expansion of consciousness happen in this world. Mm, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Mm, namaste. Namaste. Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground inform and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path 
If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. It is so appreciated. Also, check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can find information about my very exciting monthly mystic membership. My members have unlimited access to a robust video library, which includes short videos that are easily digestible, sharing practical ways to integrate mystical living into your day-to-day life. These compelling videos cover topics such as how to ground, protect, and grow your energy, how to develop your psychic abilities, how to connect to your spirit team, shadow work, inner child work, tarot cards, lots of Western astrology, of course, in addition to syncing up with the rhythms of nature and so much more. I've gotten so much positive feedback that these videos are game changers for folks. Also included in the membership are over 100 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels, meditation and breathwork classes, so you can work from the inside out or the outside in and up-level yourself as you become the next version of you. Not to mention my Mystic members get all sorts of bonus content and discounts from my visionary podcast guests. So check out modernmystic.love and take a peek there as there's a free sampling of some videos waiting for you. Lastly, if you are looking for some conscious conversation and compelling community, check out also our private Modern Mystic podcast Facebook group. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste. Namaste.